0: If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open it now with me to Luke's Gospel. Chapter 5 is where we will make a home. I'm excited about this message today. I am always excited to open up the Word of God with you all, and I hope you're excited. Are you glad to be at church today? Yes. Very good. That's two services in a row that people said yes. I mean, I guess, you know, if it's a no, hopefully you would keep it to yourself in that moment. Like, no, rather be somewhere else. But I'm glad you didn't do that. Uh, I love getting to open up the Word of God with you. This is really among the highlights of my week, but what you're going to hear us talk about today and what you're going to hear Jesus kind of uh, slowly walking us toward is something that is important for us to realize that what happens here is actually just kind of the beginning of what God should be doing in our lives each and every moment of each and every day. And we're going to talk about something that's real close to my heart, and that is the idea of Who we are supposed to be as disciples. What is a disciple and what does that mean for us to be a disciple? Jesus is going to talk to us about that today. For most of my life as a pastor, I've spent a lot of time uh, trying to find out what we need to do to grow the church how can we grow the church, whether it's this church or other churches that the Lord has had me at? How do we grow the church? What do we need to do to get this church to the next level? What is the the next big thing that can lead us to the new frontier as the people of God? I have a very natural entrepreneurial spirit. That word entrepreneurial is like a speed bump word for me. I have to slow down so I make sure that I say it right. But I've got that in me just comes naturally. I guess I get it honest from my family. My dad is a small business owner and Southeast Texas, and I just have that spirit about me, which I think God has used for the benefit of his kingdom. But the dangerous side of that is that if you're not careful, everything in the world around us today promotes and pushes this idea of church growth. Like we just want to get bigger and better and whatever it takes, let's get this thing to the next level. How do we do that? What program, what idea, what vision can we bring to the table to blow this thing up in the best of ways? And I find myself from time to time thinking, this is it, we've got it, this is what it's going to take for us to do this. But it's passages like the one we're going to study today that remind us that Jesus has already given us everything we need to be his church. And it's very simple, yet it's also radically profound what we find here in the scripture, the call of what it means for us to be the church. The church of Jesus Christ exists for the sole purpose of making disciples so that we can bring him glory. Our goal is to help people meet Jesus, but not only meet Jesus, but come to know him more and love him more on a daily basis. The word we've used to describe this in the church, and when I say the church, I'm not talking about just us, the church, is discipleship. Now, discipleship is one of those churchy words that we have used to, to kind of plug in gaps in all kinds of places. So discipleship means this to somebody, this to somebody. So some churches have just quit using the word discipleship because people are confused when you talk about it. But what I want us to do here at Crossroad is basically redeem that word and define it for ourselves. So what is discipleship? Well, the word disciple just means learner. Is somebody who learns from somebody else is a disciple. So in the context of following Christ, discipleship, it, we're going to define it this way. Following Jesus together. Following Jesus together. Did you know that following Jesus is not a solo act? Following Jesus is not something that we do individually, yet rather time and time again, we're going to see in the word of God that following Jesus is something we do together as the people of God. So discipleship is following Jesus together, and the goal for us as a church is to be people who are disciples who are making other disciples. Spiritual running partners is essentially what we're talking about here, that nobody is in this alone. So everything we do at Crossroad is about discipleship. We want to make disciples who are making disciples. This isn't a program. This isn't a new plan or a new vision. In fact, this is the original vision. Jesus in Matthew 28, right before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection, said, go and make disciples of all nations. He said, this is your job. I'm about to go, but I'm going to come back for you. Until I come back, go and make disciples. So this is the call of the church doesn't mean that we want to just make new converts. It doesn't mean that we just want to add new people to our church. We literally want to help people discover Jesus for the first time and then teach them what it means to love him and serve him and live for him. So here in this passage, we're going to discover this simple yet profound model. In the midst of an incredible story, we're going to see Jesus modeling for us not only what it means to grow as a disciple, but he's also going to model for us what it looks like to go and make disciples. So with all of that said, let's get to the word of God. I was talking so fast that I got out of breath a couple times. Like I'm just excited about this passage and I've already preached it once and I'm still this excited. So I hope you're excited, too. Okay, good. You are. I can tell. (laughs) I'm just going to go with that. Uh, Let's read this passage and ask the Lord to help us today. Luke 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was passing in or pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, uh, that's the Sea of Galilee. It says lake. There are two or three different words for the same body of water. To us, the Sea of Galilee probably looks more like a lake in our context. But there were two or three different things they called it. Luke here refers to it as the lake of Gennesaret instead of the Sea of Galilee. But it's the same region where Jesus has been. Verse 2, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. and follow Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, we come to this text asking you to do what only you can do, and that's to speak to our hearts. Lord, we need a message from you. Uh, We need to see what it looks like to follow you so that we can lead others to follow you. So, God, I pray that you would just help this be a passage that sticks in our hearts and minds in such a way that it engages us day in and day out. Lord, thank you for your word, the Bible that speaks to us. I pray that we would hear it and apply it and live it today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, an incredible story, probably one that if you have a church background you're familiar with. Jesus so far in Luke's gospel has been starting in the synagogues, which was the Jewish version of their gathering for church. So he was starting there, but it wasn't going well, was it? If you remember, uh, the first one was in his hometown and they literally tried to kill him after he got done preaching. I've told you before, I've had some bad sermons. No one's ever tried to kill me when I got done preaching. But they tried to kill Jesus, and we see him continuing to do that. But over time, we're going to see him slowly begin, instead of going to the synagogue, ministering to the rural communities around the Sea of Galilee. So this is where we find Jesus in this passage. And as we saw at the end of chapter 4 of Luke's Gospel... Jesus is healing people. He's casting out demons. He is teaching in a way that nobody has ever heard before with authority and also truth and applying the scriptures like it had never been done and they had never heard in their lives. So naturally, what begins to happen is when God is doing that kind of work, crowds come. So there are tons of people around, and Jesus is trying to teach and is getting ready to teach this group of people, but he can't because there's so many of them, and he's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So he says to Peter, who if you remember again from chapter 4, Jesus already has a relationship with Peter. He's hung out there at his house, and that's kind of was home base for them. So he says, hey Peter, why don't we push your boat out into the water, and I'll teach from there. Kind of making a little uh, homemade amphitheater, if you will. We know there are probably hundreds, perhaps even thousands. We don't know an exact amount, but there are tons of people there. And in the cool of the morning, Jesus goes out in the boat and he sits down to teach. Now, remember, in this day, rabbis would sit to teach. Listen, I want us to be a biblical church. That's why I'm really praying about getting a recliner up here for Sunday mornings. Okay? I just want to follow the Bible. Amen. All right. (laughs) So we'll see. I'll just be talking and then just start snoring like somebody wake him up. Somebody wake him up. But that's how it was done in this day. They would go and sit and then teach. So that's what's happening. And Jesus teaches, I wonder what he taught about. We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. I wonder what that sermon was about. Perhaps it was about discipleship. We don't know. But what we do know is at the end of his teaching time, he said to Peter, hey, man, why don't you drop the nets and let's do some fishing? Now, at this moment, Peter is like, "Uh, we just got done fishing all night. I imagine he was bone tired. This is not an easy task. You think of fishing most of the time for us, that's a casual, fun thing. For them, this was extremely difficult manual labor, and they had done it all night with zero results. So at this point, I'm sure they were just burdened and beaten down and thinking, man, I guess, but what does Peter say? Because Peter already knows who Jesus is and knows that Jesus is special. Peter says this, Master, we've worked all night and hadn't caught anything. But at your word, I'll let the nets down. Why was this a bad idea? Well, just practically speaking, for a fisherman, number one, they hadn't caught anything and they had just been fishing. But number two, when daytime comes, the fish would retreat into deeper waters. Peter knew that this was really a fool's errand. There was not going to be a lot of things happening here, yet he does it anyways because Jesus had encouraged him and flat out told him to do it. So he lets down the nets. I wish I could have been there, you know, have you ever done something that you really didn't want to do, but you know you had to do it, right? Uh, I've got toddlers, and I'm just telling you, like, hey, no, I didn't ask you. Go and do that. Okay. <laughs> have you had this happen? And it's like, I've seen you move faster than that, right? Like, when you get a piece of candy you're not supposed to have, and I try to catch you, you are like a speed demon. And now all of a sudden, you know, when you got to go clean your room, it's the longest walk you've ever been on. I kind of imagine that perhaps in some way Peter is doing this, but he's kind of like, okay, we just got done cleaning the nets, but here we go. Jesus said, let them down, so let's do it. But then all of a sudden fish start showing up and bringing them back up and this too heavy for them to do it. So, hey, he's, I'm assuming he went from kind of half-hearted doing it to barking out orders to the crew. Hey, guys, let's go. Let's get this. Uh, hey, guys, get the other boat out here. we got to do this. And the Bible says that they had so many fish That two boats were literally sinking from the weight of the fish. I cannot even begin to fathom the image of that. This insane miracle that had happened here. The biggest catch of their lives. And remember, these are professional fishermen who did this for their entire adult lives. And probably even as children had been raised up in this. And in this moment, they witnessed something they had never seen before. We're told that Peter, and we can only assume probably the rest of the men, fell down on their faces and they are worshiping. Jesus says, get up, guys, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishers of men. Now, perhaps to me, the most astounding fact is this. Verse 11 tells us that they simply just docked the boats and left. Fishermen who had spent their life looking for the big catch, when they finally got it, they just abandoned it and walked away in order to follow Jesus. This is a powerful testimony, and let me just tell you from the onset, this is what it means and what it looks like to be a disciple. Leaving everything we've ever known and committing to follow Christ. I want to ask you just from the very beginning, have you had this kind of moment in your life? Of course, I know that Jesus probably hadn't showed up at work and multiplied your effectiveness, right? I don't know what that would work for you. Uh, like if you work at a plant, it's like, wow, you like quadruple production today. Like, I don't know what that looks like. But here's what I'm really asking. Have you encountered Christ in such a way that you surrendered your life and you were never the same from that point forward? Have you had a moment where Jesus so powerfully came into your life that you said, I can no longer do life as normal instead my life? belongs to Jesus. What does that look like for you and me today? Because again, I can just tell you, I wish that would have happened to me. I wish that, you know, that Jesus would just show up and call me to leave my boat today, but he hasn't shown up in physical form today. But here's the thing. I believe Jesus models for us in this passage, what it looks like for you and I today to have this same kind of experience of becoming a disciple of Christ so I want to walk through this text and let Jesus show us what it means for us to follow him. The first thing we're going to see is that being a disciple starts with hearing the word of God. Being a disciple starts with hearing the word of God. I believe Luke is very intentional in the language he uses here. In verse 1, he said people were pressing in on Jesus. Why? For the very purpose of hearing the word of God. Jesus himself taught us through what? The scriptures. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament all of the time. Now, here's the other aspect of that. Jesus is not only quoting scripture, but he's writing scripture in real time. Like, that's kind of weird to me to think about that. Like As Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he, he is literally writing the Bible. And we said this last week, if you weren't here, we talked at length about divine revelation. It might be a great message for you to go listen to at Crossroad.live if you want to listen to that. But we talked about how the Holy Spirit knew that God was speaking, not only in the time Jesus was, but that was going to give us the rest of his holy word. And that we believe we have today all that we need to live a godly life. That God has revealed himself completely through the word of God. So even now as Luke and Jesus are talking to us about the word of God, even though they didn't have what we have sitting in our laps right now, I believe Jesus knew that this was going to be it. And here's the thing. People sometimes will say, well, why, why do you teach the Bible so much? Why are we so serious about the Bible? Why don't we try to have some more creative and practical talks? Can I just tell you something? If the Bible was what Jesus used, I don't want to be found using anything else. Jesus used the Bible to teach us. So that's what we are going to do is rely on the word of God to lead God and direct us through our lives. So here's the big idea of this. If you want to hear from God, open your Bibles, open your Bibles. Again, I won't exhaust this because I've probably I've been beating on this drum for a while. And here's the cool thing about it. I've heard so many great testimonies from you who have just started digging in the word and God's changing you and working in you. And that just fires me up because I see that God is working in our lives. So I want to encourage you to continue to do that. If we're going to be a disciple, if Jesus is going to speak into our lives, then we must consistently engage with the word of God. But being a disciple doesn't stop here. Not only should we read and study and hear the Word of God, but we also need to obey the Word of God. Obedience. This is a word that we don't like very much, right? Because usually you think of obedience and you think of negative things. But here's the idea. Obedience is God leading us in His direction. So many of us miss this, though. Even when you hear messages like we've been preaching, read the Bible, read the Bible, get in the Word of God until the Word of God gets in you. All those things we've been saying... A lot of people, I think, are reading the Bible, and a lot of you maybe have grown up in the church, so you have a lot of Bible knowledge. But somewhere along the way, it stops changing us. We don't uh, let the Word of God actually mold and shape us. We just read it. But what we're going to see in this text is Peter displaying crazy, radical obedience. At the Word of Christ, Peter acts. He acts. At the word of the master, he is taking action. It didn't make sense to anybody, even him. I'm sure it didn't make sense to his crew. I bet even people on the shore are like, look at those morons. Why are they letting their nets down? It's the daylight. They didn't catch anything last night, so I guess they're trying again. Wow, they're crazy. If we were to start reading the word of God and doing what it said, the reality is it would radically reorient our lives. If we were to... Listen to the Master speak and obey, then it would change our lives. You say, Well, how do I listen to the Master speak? We just said that, through the Word of God. Jesus has spoken and He still speaks today through His Word. And if we'll start to read the Word and obey it, it's going to radically change everything in our lives. But here's what's going to happen when that happens. And here's why I think a lot of people are scared of this. When our lives begin to change, people are going to look at you and say, You're crazy. You're crazy. What do you mean you, you tithe? You give money to the church? Do you know how much of a nicer home or nicer car, a nicer life you could live if you didn't give all that money to the church? What are you doing? What do you mean you spend your time with your church family? All those people that you don't even really know all that well and you serve with them and you encourage them. What are you doing? You could be doing so much more with that time. What do you mean you're loving people? You say you love people and have compassion for people you don't even know? Your church is giving how much money away to mission organizations? People we don't even know and trying to help people that that we don't even know and probably will never even meet? What are you doing? That's crazy. Can I tell you something? They are exactly right. It is crazy. It is ridiculous. This whole following Jesus thing is pretty crazy. But the reality is we do it because we have seen the results. We've seen God's mercy and grace molding us and shaping us and changing us. We have the boatloads of blessings in our lives, don't we? We have seen how God has responded as we live in obedience to him. Yet even though we've seen that, here's what's tough. Our flesh still fights against obedience every time. I can be faced with a situation and say, okay, I'm going to follow the Lord. I don't get it. This is hard for me. Everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I'm going to do it. And when I follow Jesus, the very next time I'm faced with the exact same situation, I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? Even though I've seen God bless obedience. Can't tell you how many of my prayers have sounded like Peter's. Master, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. This doesn't make sense to anybody. And everybody's telling me I'm crazy. But at your word, I'll move to Wichita. Okay, sorry, I slipped into testimony time. (laughs) You may not have that radical of an example in your life, but there are moments like that every single day of our lives, aren't there? Master, my neighbor doesn't want to talk to me. You see how fast they get out of their car and like go running in? Like they don't want to have a conversation with me. But at your word, I will seek to engage them and build a relationship in hopes that I can share the gospel with them. You see this? It's difficult for us. And our flesh is always going to battle our heart's desire to live in radical obedience. It's not going to make sense to us a lot of times. It certainly won't make sense to the world. But we know that when we're following Jesus, it will never go badly for us because obedience leads to the blessing of God. And that leads us to this next principle. Being a disciple means humbly responding to God's blessings. Humility. This incredible event happens. Peter doesn't for one second try to claim the credit. He doesn't start blaring over the speaker. Started at the bottom, now we hear. He doesn't say, hey, Jesus, get off the boat so we can clean all these fish and get them to the shop and make some money. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, what happens? He falls on his face. He says, I am not worthy. Again, I don't want to miss this because here's what happens if we're not careful. We'll take this passage and say obedience leads to blessing. And I just said that a minute ago. And I literally said, if we're following Jesus, it doesn't go badly for us. What do I mean by that, though? Because what we'll say if we're not careful is obedience leads to blessing. So I am looking for my boatload of blessings. I've been obedient, so bring them in, Lord. But you need to understand something what happened in this passage they got the boatloads of blessings but they walked away from everything why? because church listen obedience leads to blessing but Jesus is the blessing Jesus is the blessing I always think of passages like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't even need anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, we're like hanging out poolside with God, hanging out beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Everything's great. But then all of a sudden, I don't like Psalm 23 anymore. All of a sudden, we're in the valley of the shadow of death. But here's the reality. At the end of the day, what we realize in passages like Psalm 23 and what we need to realize in our lives every single day is this. Jesus is the green pasture. When we have the shepherd everywhere we go, whether we're walking, hanging out poolside with God, going through the valley of the shadow of death, whether we're going through the most difficult things in the world, it doesn't matter because Jesus is with us and He is the blessing. Some of you need to hear this today because I can just tell you that Western Christianity in particular has oftentimes been built on the back of things like this. If you give more, God's going to hook you up. Your life's going to be great if you'll just give more. If y'all just start tithing more to this church, your life's going to be so good. Let me just be honest with you. My family and I, we've made a commitment to faithfully give for several years now. We're a tithing family. And there are times where I'm looking around like saying, Hey, God, aren't you supposed to be like giving me a duffel bag of cash or something like that? Like, where's the dump truck of blessings? I am waiting on it. Preferably in small bills, Okay. But it doesn't always happen. Money's still tight sometimes. Things get difficult. Some of you may be thinking, well, I'm trying to serve Jesus, yet my health is failing. Well, I'm trying to serve the Lord and get more connected to the church. And relationships are falling apart in my life. And that causes problems because somewhere along the, the way we've bought into the lie that the more obedient we are, then the blessings come and all these other things. But the reality is that you and I need to understand is that when we obey Jesus, we are walking right in the center of his will. There are messages that are like, hey, here's how you arrange your life so that you can be blessed. Do you want to live the blessed life? Here's how you do it. Ten steps to a life of blessing. Steps one through four. Give, 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 give. Okay. They're usually talking about money. Okay. Then we're going to do this. Come to church. Then read your Bible a certain amount of times. Do all these things. And if you check this list off, you're going to be super blessed. But can I tell you something? You want to be in the center of God's will? Do you want to live a blessed life? Then chase after Christ. Develop a relationship with Him. There is no point where you are more blessed than where you can say, right here, right now, I know that I'm right where Jesus wants me to be. It's hard Things are not going well all the time. There are difficult things that seem to be falling apart around me, but I know that right now I am where Jesus wants me to be. When we are in that place, can I tell you, that is the definition of the blessed life. Obedience leads to blessing, but Jesus is the blessing. But it takes humility for us to figure that out, doesn't it? Because you know what pride says? What does pride say? It's all about me. But Peter doesn't say, wow, thanks for the fish, Jesus. What's he say? I don't even need the fish. I've got the Savior. And I can walk with him. I can talk with him. I can have a real relationship with him. This is what it means to humbly respond to the blessings of God. Jesus is the blessing. Not money, not stuff, not success, not health, not anything else. It's Jesus. We humbly surrender our lives to him and rejoice in him, knowing it's not what uh, he is doing for us, but it's what he's doing in us and through us. So finally, we see, are are y'all okay today? I'm just going to stop again. This isn't in my notes, but in the first service, I I told them this, and I'll just be honest with you. I studied hard for this message. I I prepped like a boss because y'all encouraged me to do that because that's what the lead pastor should be doing, okay? And I did not think it was going to be this intense. <laughs> like in the first service, I stopped and I was like, whew, like I wasn't expecting this. But can I tell you, there is a beautiful thing that's happening when God is working on us like this. Because we know that he is leading us to be in that place of blessing. So let's lean into the difficulty. Let's lean into the challenge that is God's word today. Because I believe using this message to to challenge and change us for the benefit of His glory and for our good. So first, if we're going to be disciples, we said we need to be hearing the Word of God. Secondly, we said we need to be obeying. We need to be walking in obedience. And then we said we need to humbly rejoice in the blessing of God. And that is His Son, Jesus Christ, and our relationship with Him. And finally, if we want to be a disciple, we need to be a people who go. A people who go. Jesus says, from now on, you'll be catching men. You will become fishers of men. Being a disciple of Jesus means that we now are making disciples. Hear me when I say this. Real disciples make disciples. Real disciples make disciples. This isn't a job that's for pastors or for missionaries or super Christians. There aren't any super Christians, but just go with that, okay? If you are a disciple, the call of God on your life is to make disciples, to lead people to Jesus and help them learn what it means to follow him. This doesn't mean that you need to quit your job and become a pastor. In fact, I think the biblical model seems to show that it's the church that is going and making disciples, and the job of pastors, elders, leaders in the church is to pour into the people of God and equip them to go and make disciples. You realize you don't have a staff here that it's our job to go and make disciples for you. Instead, God has sent us here to be able to pour into you so that you can better make disciples. That's from the, every single ministry in our church. Pastor Ethan isn't here to disciple your kids. He's here to love them and shepherd them, but at the same time, equip our parents to be better at discipling their kids. Audra is not here to disciple your kids for you. Instead, she's here to equip you and help teach you how to disciple your kids. And all of you who serve in those ministries so well, that's our role and that's our call. Our church is about equipping you to go and make disciples. Disciples. Everything we do here, from the MOVE conference coming up in a few weeks, to life groups doing life together, uh, to gathering on Sundays and listening to the Word of God, and even intentional discipleship groups, all of these things are about helping us be disciples who are making disciples. If you're a disciple, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you need to understand this is not an option. This is not an option. Your life should be about making disciples. Parents, if this is not an option, this is even less of not an option for you. That didn't make any sense, but just go with it, okay? If God has given you kiddos, your priority is to disciple your children. To lead them up in Christ and teach them not just to obey. That's a good thing. But we don't just want a bunch of good kids. We want a bunch of godly kids who love Jesus. But it doesn't stop in your home. It goes beyond the walls of your house into your neighborhood and into our community. God has put us here for a purpose, Crossroad. We're not just here to get smarter. We're not just here to learn more. We are here to make disciples of West Wichita. We are here to pour our lives out into the people that God has put us around. We should be looking for opportunities to lead people to Christ. But we know that salvation is not the finish line. We don't just want to get them baptized and say, peace out. Instead, we want to baptize them and we want to walk with them and teach them what it means to follow Jesus and know him more each and every day. This idea of being a spiritual running partner. Some of you may be thinking, well, that seems very difficult for me. How do I even do that? Well, first, I want to just say this. Some of you feel like you can't do discipleship because you're not walking in discipleship right now. You can't have people follow Jesus with you because you're not following Jesus. Somewhere along the way, you stopped in your faith journey and you've gotten stagnant. But can I tell you something? Some of you would say, well, I just don't know enough. That's not what discipleship is about. If you got saved five minutes ago, you can be discipling somebody. Because discipleship means follow me while I'm following Jesus. So what Paul said, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And as we do that, we are going to grow together in love and knowledge of Jesus. But beyond that, I think this passage is very interesting because Jesus not only is showing us what it means for us to be disciples, but I believe he is giving us everything we need to actually go and make disciples. If we're going to be engaged in discipleship, this is how we do it, this same model. First, we're going to teach the word of God to each other. We don't need fancy curriculum and all that kind of stuff. By the way, the resources and tools are a great benefit for us. But ultimately, if we're going to do discipleship, we need to be gathering around the word of God together. This is our curriculum, if you will. This is the voice of God speaking into our lives. He's given us everything we need for discipleship right here in his word. But after that, we also do life together. Uh, This is why we encourage you to be a part of a life group so that you can learn together what it looks like to walk in obedience. And beyond life groups, we even encourage some intentional discipleship groups so you can pour into each other's life and have some accountability there to help you together walk in obedience in every area of our lives. And together we humbly rejoice in the good work that God is doing in and through us. And then together we go as a church. We seek to reach, teach, live, and love like Jesus has loved us. Crossroad Church, this is the call. And it's not flashy. Uh, it's, It's not something you probably even have never heard before. This is something we know, and it's so simple, yet it's so profound, isn't it? What would your life look like if you became this disciple and intentionally thought, how can I connect with brothers and sisters in this church so that we can follow Jesus together? What would it look like if we were all running after Christ as a church? I'm just going to say, we we've averaged, you know, 400, 450, ministerially speaking, eight or 900 people on Sunday mornings. Just kidding. But imagine if you went to lunch today and came out of lunch and a mass group of 400 people were running towards you. (laughs) What would you do? I would run probably in the same direction as them. Uh, I don't look fast, but I can be fast when I'm scared, okay? That would be pretty daunting. It would have an impact on your lunch probably, wouldn't it? What would it look like for us to all be running into this community for the sake of the gospel? It would have a massive impact. And we're like, okay, what do we do? Where do we sign up for this? It starts with you becoming a disciple. It starts with you going to the Word of God and saying, God speak to me. And when He does, saying, Master, this doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'll do it. I'll obey. And when we see God working to rejoice and say, I can't believe you're doing this in me and through me. I'm humbly rejoicing in your work and I humbly submit my life to you. And when we do, we go into the world and shine bright for Christ. This is the call of the gospel. This is what it looks like for us. And and I truly believe as simple as this is, if we will start to follow Jesus passionately individually so that we can come together together, and get connected to each other and follow Jesus together as the people of God, I believe that we will see the impact from these simple commitments for generations to come at Crossroad Church. But it starts here. It starts here. You pray with me. Lord, my prayer is that we would be disciples. That we would take seriously this blessed relationship we have with you. God, that we would hear your word, that we would respond in obedience, we would humbly surrender our lives, and that we would go into a world that desperately needs you and use those same things to lead others to you. Lord, messages like this challenge us. Lord, I know that some of my friends here have probably been feeling in their lives like I do at times that that we were meant for more than this. So I think sometimes we look everywhere else for what that more is But god, I pray that we would find it right here in your gospel That we would pour out our lives making disciples Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us today and every day May the things we've talked about resonate in our hearts and our minds and or translate to our hands and our feet so that we can actually do what you've called us to do.